So I went into the next room and the next room was like a really cool like antique mall where like they had these antique pinball machines in one aisle where you could just like play them. And this like dog had befriended me in the previous world to his owner's chagrin. He like followed me. <laughs> so I'm like patting this really soft velvety brown dog who's about like yay high as we like wander and look at pinball machines. <laughs> Welcome to River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. We are very excited to talk about today's love letter reading. Spider squashing. Infiltrating. Girl, girl detective, detective. Nancy, Nancy Drew. Drew. In the secret of the old attic? The secret of the old attic. <laughs> an attic even older than the house around it that was immediately carl's concern i suggested they flew it in from the old world yeah they built the attic first <laughs> so we start out this book with carson already foisting his case off on nancy immediately he awkwardly is untying this package of love letters blue ribbon around them and he's like oh man I don't know. I don't feel right reading other people's love letters, but this guy asked me to. He said there might be a clue in it. And Nancy volunteers to do it. And he's like, oh, good. Yes, please. Nancy respected her father's opinion that maybe you shouldn't read other people's love letters, but she kind of figured it might be important. I'd say this is more your kind of mystery than mine, Nancy, Carson <laughs> says to her. Yeah, and then she ends up doing all the work on his other mystery as well in this book, of course. They're all Nancy's kind of mystery. Now, these steamy love letters are between young Lieutenant Phipp, which is an adorable nickname for Philip. It was how he used to pronounce his name as a child, and it just stuck. And his wife, Connie. Now, the lieutenant died fighting. I presume. Yeah, they didn't really say. He might have had a heart attack. His wife also died of some mysterious illness. Yeah, they didn't really say. She might have had a heart attack. But the six-year-old daughter survived and is soon to be in the care of her grandfather, Mr. March, who is the man hiring Carson Drew. That's a uh, generous use of the word hiring. So Mr. March is an elderly, gray-haired, ill-at-ease, an excitable, cultured ex-soldier. Just enough description to let us know he's a good guy. He honestly reminded me a lot of Mr. Trixler. Yeah, with better joints. He's like, hey Carson, you and your daughter have helped a lot of people. And I kind of figured, why not me too? But I don't want any charity. My granddaughter's parents would not have wanted that. The stakes here are so ridiculous. Ridiculous. Because his whole issue, keeping in mind this is a man who cannot afford to feed his granddaughter, who is malnourished from lack of money, who has sold all his earthly belongings. <laughs> and he says, I need to provide for my granddaughter, and if I can't figure out a way to do that, I'll have to accept charity. And it's just like her, her parents would roll in their grave. And not only is it the most ridiculous Protestant work ethic, capitalist ideology, but he's literally coming to Carson, the, the state's most renowned lawyer, and asking for free help, which as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, is just charity. It's kind of like, well, if I find this missing music that my son hid somewhere, then I'll pay you. I guess, but like, that's what upsets me. It's just pride standing between him and a housekeeper for his daughter to make well, him sandwiches and that's the most ridiculous thing is that like the specific thing he's worried about is having a housekeeper meanwhile he's starving to death you pointed out it's just because there's no one to cook for him yeah luckily his son who died a few years ago wrote many songs and they're all the kind of update music you young people like but much better than a lot of it, I hear. Yeah, the book says that they're real bops that slap. Well, and it's interesting because later we find that Mr. March's radio doesn't even really work, so I'm a little sus about where he's going to listen to music at all. Yeah, I don't know what exactly his musical taste comes from. He's like, oh, it's that jazz music you kids are all about. Now we have to find Phipps music. My boy was full of fun. He says, which is apparently why he 
hid his musical treasures. He would give his wife hints. In the letters. And who knows, since he only sent two more letters, if he even got around to that. (laughs) It kind of seems like Nancy only really needed to read through those last two letters. And even then, I don't know how much they helped. As much as any Nancy Drew clue does. As Mr. March attempts to leave the lovely Drew residence, a rock comes whizzing through the air and knocks him out, hits him in the head, and the good old Dr. Ives must be called. This is when we find out that he's malnourished. This injury is somehow magically serious enough that he can't go anywhere, but mild enough that he's completely okay. Yeah, it's a Nancy Drew concussion. Throw a steak on it, give him a night's rest. Feed him a gross meal. Yeah, he'll sleep this concussion right off. Nancy, of course, adopts him momentarily. She whispers to her father, why don't we keep him here? Yeah, let's keep him here and stuff him full of a bowl of broth, toast, broiled hamburger, and rice pudding. That'll show him. (laughs) I mean, it's a step up from the flavorless broth that we saw in the hidden staircase. Right, it's not just like water jello. (laughs) So, Mr. March tells her that part of the house is over 200 years old and she says how intriguing i'm intrigued too the attic is older than it doesn't matter (laughs) you pointed out and i didn't even catch this how awkward nancy's greeting to her friends was i love it if you see two of your friends you'd be like hey guys Mm -hmm. or hey pals hey chums she opens the door she goes hi bess and george (laughs) sure nancy says to george My goodness, you've had more hair cut off. Which is like what you do every time you get a haircut. George, who's the one called attractive in this book, says, Well, Bert Edelton had better like it. (laughs) Yeah, he sure had. So George is like, remember how you're going to the Emerson dance? What are you going to wear? You remember about the dance that we have? She says, when you're working on a mystery, you have a one-track mind. Don't forget about the dance. Which I 100% assumed was going to be a part of the book, as it often is, but it occurs after the book. Meanwhile, Mr. Marsh, listening to the radio, hears something distressing. One of his son's songs playing from the radio. Radio announcer doesn't announce the composer or anything like that. So Terrible DJ. And Nancy points out she could not accuse a person of a plagiarism until there was proof. Like, yeah, all you're going off of is some old guy being like, that's my son's song! That's it! <laughs> the one about the the apple bottom jeans. <laughs> uh, he, he would love to write about the boots with the curl. In the immediate future, Nancy's plan to help Mr. March is, though he's sold most of his stuff, she's gonna sell, like, more of his stuff. Yeah, they arrive at his house, and there hasn't been a house more, like, empty of stuff since, like, the chicken farmer girls. They basically describe, like, two folding chairs. (laughs) And he just keeps, like, tearing up, explaining he had to sell it. But upstairs, there's an attic that is somehow up a long long flight of stairs like it's a tower or something he specifies it's steep too so he never goes up there so nancy is gonna plunder those treasures and make him some money yeah it's rife with antiques so a lot of this book is them just being excited that they found another thing of his to sell my god jewels my god <laughs> antique stickers my god. Just like <laughs> random nonsense people Hat love <laughs> people love these old cartoon clippings from newspapers in the meantime obviously we can't do without a housekeeper so nancy brings in our favorite dizzy maid effie, effie. nancy mentions that she's a good maid except if she's in a mystery so we'll just avoid one of those right yeah as long as there's no <laughs> mystery under this old attic i love that they specify she's kind-hearted and loyal to the family loyal to the drew family and it feels like nancy really used that to get like a free internship out of effie effie's kind-hearted plus we've got dirt on her she does not like the looks of pleasant hedges the house where mr march lives what am i getting into asks effie another mystery no 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 no. it'll be fine effie so effie comes in now the reason they needed effie to come in is susan finally arrives at the house and it's dramatic right away susan is not doing well she's very ill nancy remembers her symptoms and identifies the measles which usually isn't serious 
I have no idea. I don't know. We might have to research measles. But the point is, Susan is very sick, but she's okay. Yeah. (laughs) That exact perfect level of sick. (laughs) Yeah. And Nancy's a hero for identifying what's going on. So as Nancy collects treasures to go sell. She brings them to our favorite antiques dealer, Mr. Faber. He... Or his employees keep uh, writing out sizable checks to Nancy for all these goodies. And unlike the fake prince, she does not skim off the top. Nope. (laughs) She gives all the money. Do you think Effie is getting paid? I assume so, but who knows how much. I think that he specifies that the first sizable check goes to her. So Effie calls Nancy up. You gotta get back here. Bad stuff's going on. I'm scared. Nancy's like, okay. So she rushes back to the estate. Effie brings her aside and says, I don't want Mr. March to hear. You know how he gets excitable. He's so excitable. And Nancy has to suppress a smile because she's like, that's Effie, you're excitable. (laughs) But Effie's news is really quite frightening. Effie says to Nancy, a big, powerfully built man was sneaking around the property. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah, I wouldn't want to work there for minimum wage. But Nancy's like, no, no, no. We'll just walk around. We'll see if any of the windows were open. It's fine, Effie. And after they survey things, Effie trustingly is like, okay, and goes back to work. It says, the maid returned to her work, apparently no longer disturbed. Nancy was far from being satisfied. It occurs to me that Effie is getting the polar opposite treatment that Ellen did. Yeah. Ellen, who asks Nancy uh, to vet her employer, is told she should not work there until the mystery is solved. Yeah. Effie is told, you're expendable, it's fine. Definitely, exactly. I saw a lot of parallels. Well, in the introduction to one of River Heights' greatest villains, (laughs) a storm blows a pine tree into the house. It's the log of the book. Oh no, we haven't seen him in a while. I'm glad says Mr. March, that it didn't fall on your car, Nancy. Nancy says, oh, I am too. Yeah, that's good. I like my car. Effie says, you know, this house isn't so bad in the daytime, but at night, those shadows just seem to sort of leer at you. Nancy says, nonsense. Which is ironic. Because then Nancy decides to explore that old dark attic again. And what should scare her, but the very thing she told Effie was not (laughs) scary at all, a shadow. My own shadow, of course, says Nancy. But how grotesque I look. (laughs) That's like, that's like classic 50s, like, yeah, you gotta trim down that shadow. And... Sure enough, as she's exploring this creepy attic, she opens an old wardrobe. Now, what's the scariest thing in the world, Hope? What is the scariest, spookiest, rattlingest thing you can think of? Honestly, I expected her to find Narnia. That's, okay, second scariest which, which thing. Which a little bit, second, eventually. Eventually, <laughs> the second scariest thing after Narnia. <laughs> what is it? It's a skeleton! Oh my gosh. A bony bro! A long bony arm reached out towards Nancy's throat. It's a spooky, scary skeleton. Effie, in horrible timing, has just come into the attic. Nancy, you were attacked by a skeleton. Nancy says, no, Effie. No, Effie. (laughs) So Mr. March explains that one of the cousins had a friend or maybe the cousin himself, they were in medical school. And uh, as Mr. March puts it, you know how boys are. They love their bony bros. (laughs) They used this skeleton for Halloween and never bothered returning it. And then they just put it in this wardrobe and also rigged it to look like it was attacking anyone who opened the wardrobe. You know, boys stuff. Inconveniently, Mr. March is like, that's enough searching, Nancy. We're going downstairs. I'm going to look at that old wardrobe again soon, says Nancy. I have a hunch it holds a strange secret. Nancy thinks to herself, I wish this mystery was nearer to being solved. So I guess it's not the most thrilling one. She's just staying at this old guy's empty house a lot. <laughs> I need I need two mysteries to make me satisfied, says Nancy. Luckily, she goes home to see her old 
old dad. She finds her dad bent over a microscope, you know, like a like a lawyer would be, looking <laughs> at none other than like silk clothing. Two different white scraps of cloth that look identical. You see, he's been hired to see if one silk maker stole the silk making process of a second silk maker. There's no difference even under the microscope. It seems that a man named Bushy Trot. <laughs> Might be a spy. Now, of all the ridiculous names in Stumpy Dow, Nancy Drew, Sporky the Pirate, uh, <laughs> Snorky, Goomber. <laughs> this is the name that finally makes Nancy say, "What a curious name!" <laughs> Apparently, uh, Mr. Carson believes that it must be a nickname based on his bushy hair. You know, my name is Busby, and the origin of that might be bushy hair. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> that wouldn't be enough for me to pick you out of a crowd, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> so Carson mentions, you have a classmate named Diane Dite, right? And Nancy's like, oh yeah. And he's like, she's not a friend of yours, is she? Nancy's like, no, I wouldn't call her that. Carson's first concern with a mystery involving someone Nancy knows is whether it will affect her social life. I think he wouldn't have trusted her with the case if she was biased. Ooh. Well, Nancy admits that Diane Dite is a terrible name. An attractive looking girl, but she's spoiled and willful. <laughs> You're pretty willful yourself, Nancy. Right, uh, and spoiled. Nancy needs to search the Dites factory. Carson is looking for Bushy Trot, so a coarse-looking fellow with wild bushy hair. And You'll know him when you see him. Her mission, should she choose to accept it, <laughs> is to somehow get her not-friend to be her friend yep. and give her a tour of this factory so she can see if this man's there. Ironically, that's the exact kind of thing Nancy Drew does all the time, is get people who aren't her friends to give her things. But they have to be strangers. If there's someone that knows her and doesn't like her, that's tougher. It's ironic, too, because they literally could have just gone and asked the owner of the factory, but they don't want to tip him off that they're looking into this. You never know. Maybe solving this mystery will help Nancy's other mystery. Maybe if you solve this mystery for me, you'll also solve the other mystery for me. <laughs> Basically, right? Is it Carson who says that? Yeah. Carson, what are you talking about? He, he, it'll give her fresh perspective. Oh, it's like when you step away from one project. Mm -hmm. That just sounds like a parent tricking you into doing something. That's what this whole book is. He's like, this is more your kind of style. Go for it. Yeah, that's what, like when, when my mom used to, she asked you to do a chore. And if you said, I'm not very good at that. She'd be like, oh, perfect. You need the practice. <laughs> That's good. So Nancy is having trouble figuring out how she's going to befriend Diane Dite without raising her suspicions about how Nancy has never, ever tried to friend her before. So she says to her friend George, you know Diane Dite, uh, how do you think I could get a hold of her? George says, Diana Dite, how you could like that girl is a puzzle to me. Nancy says, did I say I like her? It, it, that's sassy too. Yeah, George is like, you sly old fox. George knows a dressmaker that is preparing a dress for Diane. And I think also for George, probably for that dance. Now this dressmaker who thinks Diane diets too much. <laughs> this dressmaker likes her girl's dummy thick. <laughs> She's also foreign and has a thick accent, whereas Catherine never was written as having a thick accent. They don't say she has an accent. They don't mention it at all. But the way her words are written, all her THs and Ss are Zs. So it's like, this is Z dress. And I don't know why they brought back Mr. Faber, but they didn't bring back Catherine. The dressmaker is like, and unfortunately, Diana is going to be so mad at me. I am still not done with her dress and she's coming back to town today. You needn't tell Diane that your dress is going to be late, Nancy says to the dressmaker. I'll tell Diane that your dress <laughs> is going to be late. So she says to Mrs. Fane as he got to lunch, George's mom, let me tell you what a schemer I am. <laughs> I'm going to pick Diane up at the airport or wherever. The train station. Uh, well, wherever she flew into and <laughs> tell her about a late dress. So Nancy meets Diane 
at the train station. Mm-hmm. She's She goes there early. On her way out the door, she's so dressed up that Hannah's like, where the heck are you going? And she's like, wouldn't you like to know? I'm going out with the best dressed girl in town. <laughs> Basically, she's yeah trying to make sure Diane doesn't look down her nose too much at her. She's at the front in the platform, and Diane is also conveniently the first one out the train, and Nancy is immediately like, your dress is late. And Diane's like, oh, okay, that explains why you're here picking me up at the train station. And the dressmaker had also asked her to give her the message that her dad wanted to see her, but she doesn't mention that. She just grabs her suitcase and starts walking towards her car. She calls Diane stunning, at which point Diane is like, oh, your dress is really nice. And Nancy thinks to herself, oh, Hannah would be so pleased to know her dress was so praised. Yeah, I had the feeling that if Diane knew that a housemaker had made the dress, she wouldn't have been so complimentary. Diane, spoiled as ever, is unhappy that Nancy has to carry her suitcase. Ugh, it's such a chore when our chauffeur is on vacation. Then Nancy starts driving, and I think Diane thinks she's being kidnapped, because she's like, you're going the wrong way. Well, from a lot of perspectives, she is kidnapped. That's what Nancy's plan ends up being, is a short-term kidnapping. She brings her to her father's factory, follows her inside. I have nowhere to go. And basically, it says that Diane is forced to, like, introduce her to her secretary. Nancy uses the power of awkward social situations. Nancy's like, oh, I I don't mind giving you a ride after you're done here. But when Diane leaves, she says... Please don't bother to wait. Nancy manages to schmooze the secretary enough that the secretary's like, we don't usually give tours, but since you're a friend of Diane's... Oh, I am. (laughs) Nancy notices a sign on this tour. It's a top secret room. It was like under any circumstances. No one better look in here. Yep. It was more than top secret. The point is... It makes her wonder, is Bushy Trot in there? <laughs> That's where they would hide him. <laughs> if you're going to keep a man who that you don't want me to see on your premises, you're going to put him behind a door that says, <laughs> under no circumstances can you come in here. Just then, the secretary gets called away. She has to go do her secretary job. And Nancy says, if you don't mind, I'd like to continue to look around a little. The secretary's like, hmm, you really shouldn't, but stay if you wish. Yeah. Like, what? How is that? security if you remember our moss covered mansion episode it's literally higher security than nasa has (laughs) nasa tour guides say please look around but here they say you probably shouldn't but please do it's pretty high security so as nancy wanders around the forbidden room it opens momentarily and she gets a fleeting glimpse of a bushy haired man to be clear, she wanders around the door of the forbidden room. She is not right. She's in not in there yet. Not yet. <laughs> she wanders around the location of the room. Now that she's seen the bushy-haired man, she deliberately loiters around the door, thinking, "I must get a better look at that fellow with the bushy hair. This is my chance to help Dad solve his mystery." I think I know how to do it," says Nancy. Her ruse for getting a better look in is that she's going to put her lips real close to the crack (laughs) in the door and then she's going to scream at the top (laughs) of her lungs that'll do it that's pretty tricky a man rushes out to her aid and she says to herself why i'll bet that's bushy trot sure looks like him so she feigns to faint and he sets her on the floor where she looks up at his cruel ugly face which is such a mean thing to say about someone who just rushed out to help you when you were fainting and screaming yeah he literally then runs to get her some water while she spies around the forbidden room yeah she has to like run around the room in her nice dress trying to find something and then hurry and lay back down on the floor in her nice dress pushy trot pretty quickly figures out you don't work here do you wait a minute that's not uniform in walks another man he was stout well dressed it was mr dight uh-oh busted he starts to say trot's name tra <laughs> And then cuts off because he sees Nancy there. Had Nancy stumbled upon his secret? 
he was uh, not happy to see her. I love it's another uh, manipulative parent thing he says when she's like, oh, I, I'm a friend of Diane. I fainted. I'm sick. He says, well, then some fresh air will do you good as he drags her out of the factory. Yeah. <laughs> then Mr. March hears the song on the radio again, his son's song. It's called The Song of the Wind. It was originally composed by his son for the Legend of Zelda series, I believe. Supposedly a man named Ben Banks. And banking fake songs. Yep. A scream from the attic. Effie has been bitten by a skeleton. <gasps> Much is made of how scared she is of everything, but she goes up to this pitch dark attic. There's because, no lights up there. Because Mr. March doesn't own anything and she needed some towels. So she looks in the wardrobe and the skeleton bites her. You keep towels with your skeletons. Right. Typically. She insists that she's been bitten by a bony boy. And she does have a small bite mark on her finger. And then pretty soon her whole arm is swollen up. Nancy thinks quick and puts a tourniquet on and they bring Effie to the least helpful doctor. <laughs> well, I mean, he does save her, but... As he treats her, he says, this is clearly a black widow bite, which is strange because they're not native to this area. Then he decides to try to get her mind off the spider bite by saying, another very dangerous spider is the tarantula. <laughs> they're also not native to this area. Which, first of all, is... There's just... so much to say here. Factually, it's not true. Okay, so yeah, the tarantula isn't a spider. It's a lot of spiders. Mm-hmm. It's also one of the least dangerous spiders. Yep. <laughs> it's slightly venomous, but less so than a bee sting. It <laughs> likes to hide from humans. And if you were going to mention another deadly spider, don't tell the girl that it also isn't from here when something that wasn't from here just bit her. Basically, yeah. all you're saying is other spiders have equal chance of biting you. You're scared of losing your life? Well, guess what? There's other scary things out there. <laughs> a more comforting thing to say is, luckily, skeletons aren't venomous, so you would be fine if that bites you. <laughs> Just tell her it's a skeleton bite. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is nothing more than a skeleton bite. Your arm is just a little bit haunted. He also instructs them to find the Black Widow spider and kill it. In this huge house, he's like, it's probably a good idea to kill that thing that'll crawl around and kill you. So Nancy enlists Hannah, brings Hannah to the attic, and they kill a great number of spiders and spider webs. They are just walking around with sandals encrusted with poor, dead, ecologically helpful insects. They specifically have a broom and an insecticide spray can. <laughs> I guess even in an even worse for the environment move, they're using poisons. The problem is they are not finding the Black Widow. So Nancy goes to the wardrobe. Sure enough, there's the Black Widow. Hannah dispatches of it with one swoop of her broom. Susan mentions to Nancy that Effie had a bad spider bite. And Nancy is perturbed that Effie would even tell this poor little girl <laughs> that bad spiders exist. What is cute is in a win for spiders, Nancy tells her about the fun spiders. Jumping spiders and flying spiders. Susan says, those would be fun to watch. Susan also says, I wish you'd always stay. You're my best friend. Nancy brings out the most ham-fisted, saccharine relationships and children, right? They're just like drippingly honey-sweet. Nancy, I'm going to be here for a while. Suppose we pretend each day is a year. Susan liked this game and soon went to sleep happily. That's what you say to a kid. If they're sad you're not around enough, you say, pretend each day is a year. I'll be here for at least six months. When it comes to children, I feel like Nancy definitely has a Mary Poppins vibe. In the attic, Nancy finally does find some music. Also, she gets bitten, not by a skeleton, but by a jeweled belt buckle. Cha-ching. She, she has something soft land on her hand. What could it be? It's a teddy bear. A teddy bear, yeah. That fell from the rafters, apparently? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. She does also hear footsteps. Something scary. Music in the attic. Right. Was it a harp? Yeah. When Mr. March finds out that Nancy heard a prowler up there, he says, I'll fix him. I faced the enemy before. And he runs up there, but there's no one up there, of course. It's time for a daddy-daughter field trip. Bring your daughter to Mystery Day. Nancy gets a tour of Booker's factory. This is the man who she believes Mr. Dite stole from. She sees a yellow gown that she likes very much. <laughs> and also visits what 
every silk factory has, the spidery. Ooh. Where they keep all their, I want to say, orb spiders. This is where she gets to watch spiders be milked. <laughs> yep. <laughs> for silk. That's how he makes his satiny satins. Mr. Drew says, if we could uh, trace these chemicals to that other factory, we'd have an airtight case. And Nancy says, I think I'll remember this smell. I'll be able to smell those chemicals anywhere. Carson, wanting more information, says, couldn't you arrange for another trip with your friend Diane? Nancy says to your father, what I've had to say to my parents so many times, she's scarcely a friend, Dad. (laughs) But I'll think up a way. And she does. She says to herself, you know, Susan could use some clothing. She has an inspiration. She visits Diane, says, you have a younger sister. Does she have any old dresses that you wouldn't mind giving me? She gives them to Nancy. Nancy has a chance to spy around her house in the meantime and notices that Mrs. Diet collects old bottles. What an interesting hobby. Sorry, I'm with her daughter on that one. That's not that interesting. She has a short debate with Diane about the value of old bottles. Many old things are far prettier than new ones, says Nancy. Diane points out, I don't think so. (laughs) Nancy is not pleased. Diane certainly was a disrespectful and conceited daughter. (laughs) Effie's still scared. She says, there's too many ghosts. Come spend the night, please. It's not that there are ghosts. There's too many. Nancy says, we haven't seen a real ghost yet. Effie says, call it what you like. You can't fool me. Yeah, I know that ghosts and prowlers are basically the same thing. Before Nancy heads over to spend the night with Effie, she decides to drop by the old Dite factory. Knowing that Mr. Dite's wife likes bottles, she's got a bunch of old bottles. From Mr. March's attic, Mr. March again says, I don't want any charity. I won't accept these dresses. Nancy says, no problem. I'm going to gift her one of these bottles. And the rest I'll try to sell to Mr. Dyke. He doesn't know if the bottle's worth what the dresses are worth. He knows that she would have thrown them out anyway. But as long as he can check off in his heart the little box, I paid for these dresses with a bottle. Yeah. (laughs) So it's pride. That's all it is. She heads over to Mr. Dyke with a big old box of bottles. And she's like, hey, would your wife like to buy some of these? Now, apparently he's a very attentive and supportive husband because he just starts salivating at these. While he's looking over the bottles, who does Nancy see running out of the factory but old Bushy Trot? (gasps) So Nancy immediately says, uh, bye. I'll just leave these here. You peruse them because he's trying to pay her. And she's like, no, no, just you just in the worst salesman tactic of all time. Don't pay me now. Just keep them. I'll be back. (laughs) Yep. Runs after Bushy Trot. And ends up while trying to chase him, getting herself locked in the factory after closing. While in the factory, Nancy recognizes a familiar smell. (gasps) Is it Hannah's roasted turkey? It's a chemical. Oh. And she spends a lot of time figuring out how she's going to get samples of this and finally remembers she has bottles in her purse. I, did you say purse? Or, I could have sworn it said pockets, but either way, it's funny. It's mini bottles. That she has bottles. two more bottles that she just didn't have in the box with all the others. And also that she doesn't think of them immediately. And also that they have stoppers. She gets her samples. She also gets to see Mr. Dite's spidery, where he uses black widow spiders hey come to my good silk factory we use orb spiders to make silk hey come to my evil silk factory we use black widow spiders for our silk yeah it's just like totally unnecessary danger one comes out of the ventilation system and scares nancy who squishes it yeah they're just like roaming free (laughs) or at least some of them are later mr dite explains that the reason he was keeping it so top secret is he didn't want his workers to be afraid that (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's the level we're at a daily reminder don't watch out for black widow spiders there aren't (laughs) any at this factory now nancy has to figure out how to get out and it's long and boring as he described the factory it sounded more like she was finding her way out of a cave it kept describing like thin passageways and seeing light ahead she gets out She sees Bushy Trot in an alley, but she hides behind a gasoline drum, successfully avoiding him, plus 10 to sneak. She 
goes home and it is very, very late at this point. She sees Carson and Hannah gesticulating in the window. Sure enough, they're super worried about her. She goes in and she's like, yeah, guess what? You should have been worried about me. It wasn't good. Goes in stinking of gasoline and Black Widow spider venom. (laughs) She says, I've had a perfectly awful experience. Here you go. Here's some samples. She's not just late to get home, but she's late for poor Effie, who (laughs) expected her to spend the night. It's 11 p.m. at this point. Effie's worried. Mr. March is worried. Effie says, Nancy never broke a promise to me before. I love that phrasing, too, because, like, how many promises has she made to you? Meanwhile, Effie sees the Prowler again and pulls the covers up over her head. Protecting herself completely. She goes and tells Mr. March about it. Mr. March had also heard the prowler but he says it's fine it's it's good it's fine so nancy comes very late to the house and sleeps there best comments the next day you really move in on a mystery don't you nancy and yeah Bess, you usually move in with her it's like you haven't seen your friend in two days now she's like way into magic the gathering cards or something <laughs> just like oh this is your life now okay nancy tries to move in a little further on this music mystery trying to get a hold of the public company that put out the music by Ben Banks that was stolen from Mr. March. Now the publishing company insists that Nancy cannot make an appointment by calling. She has to write them via letter for an appointment. So she asks George and Bess to wait. Bess who's like, I'm not going to watch you write a letter. He's like, we'll go talk to Hannah. George says, and Bess will help herself to some cookies. Okay, George. We saw a TikTok like this recently where it talked about how the lady would always have homemade cookies on hand to show her kids that there's no shame in having a little treat. Yeah. George has the opposite stance, apparently. <laughs> Nancy invites Bess and George to spend the night with her at the inappropriately named Pleasant Hedges. <laughs> That's Mr. March's house where the hedges are not trimmed. But I guess they don't all want to hang out with Effie because they tell Effie she can go to a movie. She's pretty excited about that. She can have a night off, finally. Nancy talks to a sales clerk and he says, Ben Banks must be a cool guy to compose three great songs in such a short period of time. What a cool dude. Nancy thought so too. So now she knows this guy has probably stolen three of the songs. So she knows that Mr. March doesn't have a record player. So she just buys the sheet music. And before she leaves, she sits down and plays it on like the display piano. The clerk is taken aback by her wonderful talents and skills. Not really. Okay, so you must have read this different than I did. He says, you do all right, miss. Yeah. I see. I took that as, whoa, you do all right. But I guess you took it as. I took it very much as like, you do all right. That's too funny. (laughs) Well, either way, Nancy leaves with the knowledge of these songs. Goes home and plays it for her dad who and Hannah who appreciate it much more. Mm. Uh, Nancy wonders to herself if the publisher is in on this scheme since he's publishing so many of this man's songs. Hannah serves a special casserole of beef and vegetables, ice cream and cake. That's (laughs) disgusting. I don't want ice cream and cake in my beef and vegetable casserole. I'm pretty sure if you read it properly, that's not what it is. Nancy sees the prowler again. And without telling anyone. She chases him. Nancy never tells anyone before the most dangerous thing she does. It points out that in the darkness, it was not easy for Nancy to distinguish objects. So she doesn't have like beam eyes. If you had like night vision, you'd just see a teenage girl waving her hands in the dark. (laughs) Now, where did he go so quickly? Nancy thinks he must have gone into the house. Oh no, he must know his way around in the dark. Yeah, Nancy. (laughs) As Nancy's feeling the sides of trees to see which side is smooth. So she tells her friends, There's a prowler around here. Please be on guard. Please be the guards. (laughs) I read that wrong. Please be guards. Yep. She's like, go outside and, and stand watch. Suzanne sneaks up on her and Mr. March. Nancy thinks, oh, I could use this. Uh, we'll bring you to bed, Susan, to read you a story. You ever do that thing where you try to (laughs) fool your parents into thinking you're going to your room? Like, okay, I'm going to bed. Stomp, (laughs) stomp, 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 stomp. Like, it's basically that same plan. It doesn't exactly work, but when she gets to the attic, she does 
smell smoke. At first she's like, oh no, is there a fire? But she pretty quickly figures out it's like cigarette smoke. The prowler, outside, drives away. He must have gotten in and out without Nancy knowing how he did it. And he got past those guards. George says, if that isn't the worst luck. (laughs) George was your own ineptitude. The point is, George did (laughs) see that he was carrying rolled paper. Uh oh. And not just the kind for smoking indoors. <laughs> he probably got another song. They hear another stolen song soon afterwards on the radio. This one is by Harry Hall. And while the first one was a bop that slapped, this one's a real banger. So now Nancy is sure there's something going on in the attic and brings her good friends Bess and George up to search. It's architecture time. She starts shouting orders. Hunt for clapboards that can be moved. Secret doors, alongside real ones, false windows, hidden... And she gets cut off because they're like, hey, that's enough. Can look for three things at a time, Nancy. (laughs) We know how to look for secret rooms by now, Nancy. Yeah. Knock on doors, see the widths of things, look for dust that shouldn't be there or should. Nancy also decides that that night they should like stay in the bushes and see if they can see where the prowler goes. They always fall asleep doing that. Suddenly, Bess is attacked. The skeleton grabs Bess by the hair. They're really getting a lot out of this prop for this one. (laughs) This is like the spookiest skeleton of all time. At least the skeleton doesn't bite Bess. This makes Nancy think, hmm, I should search that wardrobe again. Bess looks on disapprovingly. (laughs) She does find a door under the skeleton, but it's warped shut by time and water and being wooden. After watching Nancy struggle for a bit, George has had enough. Let me try my luck, George says impatiently. And it's just... I'll judo that thing open. <laughs> Mr. Jenner, the publisher of the songs, shows up just then. Knock, knock, knock. So Nancy leaves George to it. She goes downstairs to meet an unpleasant looking man with a brisk manner. <laughs> I made a special trip here to see you and my valuable time has been wasted, says Mr. Jenner, refusing to believe that any of the songs he's ever published have been stolen. You may not think so later, says Nancy. As he drives away, Nancy has mingled feelings of annoyance and contempt. Bess and George were incensed. <laughs> they took it even harder than she did. All I can say is that he'd better look out, George exclaimed, her eyes blazing. Yeah, she's just got like her fists up, like, oh boy. I find this especially interesting because usually they only describe villains as having blazing eyes or fire eyes. Do you think that (laughs) George is taking a turn for the worst? (laughs) Well, says Nancy, trying to calm George down. After all, I do need some evidence. In that compartment that they finally get open, they do find one piece of music. Apparently itself untouched by the water that like ruined everything around it. Yeah. Yeah. Bess says, it's lovely. It would be a hit if it were published. Luckily, Carson Drew knows a publisher. The whole idea is that his son wrote these songs, which are highly publishable, and that they're going to sell them for enough money to keep this daughter for life. But like, I don't think the music industry works like that. I think you like over overestimate how much a housekeeper costs well yeah obviously effie (laughs) Effie will work for room board and a hideaway from mysteries still just selling music like oh if i had the music it's definitely good no one's gonna question that it doesn't need to be promoted you just give it to a guy and he says oh the heart's wind of love yeah have a million dollars and residuals (laughs) it doesn't make any sense Uh, Anyway, Carson teases Nancy. He says, well, if you're bored, you could check up on Mr. Dite. He does warn her, though. If you were in his factory and he's suspicious, he probably has taken your fingerprints from the scene. He's very thorough and employs several experts. (laughs) Nancy says, why, I left them everywhere in the lab, in the spidery, even in the tunnel. If if he fingerprints any of those areas, then distinguishes all of his employees' fingerprints, and then finds mine, and then gets a match of mine from somewhere, he'll know I was there. Mr. Drew says, well, then just don't go talk to him. And Nancy says, but I have to. He has the old bottles that don't even belong to me. I have to go back. The more Nancy thought of interviewing Mr. Dye, the more she dreaded it. On second thought, though, she definitely 
doubted that the man had looked for fingerprints. Yeah, um, <laughs> on the one hand, it's terrifying, but on the other hand, it's ridiculous. So, with no outer sign of nervousness, Nancy goes back to the factory and says to the secretary, May I see Mr. Dite, please? The secretary, once so friendly, gazes at Nancy without smiling and says, Yes, Mr. Dite very much wants to talk to you, <laughs> Miss Drew. Maybe he did take fingerprints. With sinking heart, Nancy realized she must play her part convincingly. I believe, says the secretary, Mr. Dite is wondering where you went when you left here last. Nancy, in the most suspicious phrasing possible, says, Whoa, didn't he assume I went straight home after I left here? <laughs> no, I think he thought you wandered around the factory again. Oh, says Nancy. Well, no wonder you were concerned. <laughs> Crazy. When she goes into Mr. Dite's office, he does a power move and doesn't look up for several seconds. Ooh. Mr. Dite says, well, Nancy, did you learn what you were sent here for? Nancy plays it all off. Oh, I just saw someone outside. It was a friend. I ran out. He's like, oh, and then you went straight home? And she's like, well, you know how it is. I had to stop and talk to my friends. My housekeeper was all worried. I'm a teen girl. And Mr. Dite just like softens right up. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were a corporate spy, but you're just a teen girl. The man believed Nancy. Nancy's story. Nancy thinks to herself, ah, I'm off the hook. Bushy Trot must not have found that squashed spider. <laughs> or noticed the lights were on. Or seen my fingerprints every flipping way. <laughs> so Mr. Dite tries to undersell Nancy on these bottles, offering her a third of their worth. She says, no, that's not enough. He says, I'll give you $10 more. Not enough! <laughs> so Nancy takes the bottles away from him and takes them off to Mr. Faber, who gives her generous, generous checks. Meanwhile, Nancy gets a letter from Mr. Jenner, who says, they were not plagiarized. If you say so again, I'm going to sue you for libel. Basically a cease and desist. So Mr. March has doubts about Nancy's plan to hide in the bushes and tackle this prowler. Three of us girls ought to be able to handle one man, George says. <laughs> Mostly George will do that with her judo. That's never proven to be true, though. <laughs> <laughs> they wear dark dresses, cover their hair with black kerchiefs, until they seem to only be ghostly shadows. And everything's going off without a hitch. They hear two intruders coming from different directions. They're all ready to hop on out and save the day. And then Mr. March ruins it. Oh no! Comes blustering out of the house. He's like, Nancy! Nancy, where are you? Are you still trying to catch that guy, Nancy? Do you still live at blah 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 lane? This like, just the worst things you could say. Turns out one of the intruders was Mr. March, who got worried about Nancy. Not only is the Prowler scared off, but now he realizes that Nancy was trying to trick him. I suppose he meant well, says Nancy of Mr. March, who ruined everything. Nancy figures out from lyrics of one of the songs, the love letters might be important after all. We better go back to those. Susan comes up to Nancy. She's playing dress up. She's in heels and she says, do I look like a real grown-up lady now, Nancy? She trips, falls, and with her parasol scratches a big hole in the wallpaper. But Nancy isn't mad because Susan has uncovered a clue. Mr. March is summoned. At first, he thought she was calling attention to the costume. But when the elderly man saw the music notes, he too became excited. Yeah, he, he, he didn't really care about what his granddaughter was up to. But music notes behind the wallpaper? Now that's interesting. They tear it all down. He's like, it's old anyways. So they get rid of the wallpaper. It's a whole drawn out thing. She scratched in just the right place. Anywhere else, there is no music. No. What you see behind the wallpaper is a charming old-fashioned scene. A woman sitting at a piano and a man beside her singing. Ah, now we have real proof. Because I guess they can carbon date this painting and be like, this was here before. We promise. And look how parts of this song that you published are on this wall that was not modified fight in any way and uh, that proves it it just seems to me that if vanilla ice can get away with cribbing so much of 
queen mm. that this guy's not going to get caught by this wallpaper. Yes. But luckily, luckily, it doesn't matter. Because Nancy feels that if he, they have anything on this guy, he'll probably prefer to settle out of court rather than get a lawsuit. Nancy says it's time to go visit Mr. Jenner. His secretary chews gum loudly and takes a while to even notice them. And then she says rudely, well... Tell me, what do you think is more evil to have at your place of business? Black Widow spiders or a secretary that chews gum loudly? <laughs> I think either way, it's pretty evil. The secretary says, Mr. Jenner says he won't see you. He's very busy. Go go the heck away. So best George and Nancy have no choice but to leave? No. To eavesdrop. <laughs> they hear Jenner say, Ben, we're in a tight spot. That Drew girl. Oh, I thought that was it. <laughs> and then they, they're all dead. Nothing happens. <laughs> I misread this. That Drew girl has just left here. Maybe she has found some proof. So he knows. No, 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 boss. There's no problem. Nancy says, oh, I wish we could learn more about that fellow, that second voice, Ben Banks. Well, they are lucky enough to see Benny Banks leaving. He's a lean, long-haired man of early middle age. They basically decide to stalk him. They follow him to his hotel room. Nancy is completely convinced that he must be Ben Banks. He's not the same guy as the Prowler, because the Prowler is heavy set. So we got a heavy set guy, a bushy-haired guy, and a lean, long-haired guy. These are our villains. But they do find something interesting at the hotel. When they ask if Ben Banks is staying there, they find out that his real name is Horace Dite. <gasps> Diane's father's second cousin. It doesn't actually connect to the two mysteries, but it's like it does. And it's enough to confuse Nancy. What a tangle this mystery is becoming. Is it a tangle or is this town just full of dites? <laughs> now the results have come back from the bottles of solution that Nancy stole and they are the same. Woof. Now they got proof about that too. Affairs are getting complicated, says Carson Drew. Carson decides he's going to stall on the whole stolen potions. <laughs> Is potions right? Just go on. <laughs> case because nancy points out that horace might mention her name to mr dite and that would ruin everything you know at the dite family reunion <laughs> meanwhile there's good news that mr hawkins carson drew's publisher friend has in fact purchased phipps song it's a real earworm a whiz banger that's what it was i thought they said that it was a bop that slapped <laughs> Carson suggests Nancy might want to go hide out at Pleasant Hedges. Doesn't seem like the safest place to hide out. No, and she doesn't even get to tell him that there's like a prowler who's regularly there. But yeah, that shows, sure, she'll go. In the love letter, she finds a strange little bit of information about the long forgotten man. My secret you hide. Nancy figures out the long forgotten man must be that skeleton and they need to search that wardrobe again. The wardrobe is basically the trunk of the book. It is. So there's much always, hidden in there. Always a different thing. This Mr. March hopes it goes well. I can't stand any more disappointments. Nancy says, I have a hunch that this time we're going to be successful. Yeah, successful in finding more disappointments. <laughs> they go upstairs. They're searching the attic. The skeleton this time no longer seems sinister to Nancy. In fact, she thinks he's kind of friendly. Like an old buddy from inside <laughs> my skin. She finds a hole in the back of the wardrobe <gasps> through the wall behind it. Yes, and it's dark. So she says, we need to move this wardrobe. It's super heavy. We need a strong pusher, says Nancy. Effie says, I can oblige. That's new information about Effie, that she's a strong pusher. And she doesn't see daylight. So she figures out there must be a room or a niche behind here. Yeah, they thought the wardrobe was against an outside wall, but it's not. Mr. March says, to think I've lived here all these years without discovering this. Like, yeah, you, you wouldn't come to the attic. This is your, like, fourth time ever being up here. Thrilled by her discovery, Nancy said that she would run downstairs and outdoors to take a look at the architecture of the house. When she inspected the exterior of the mansion critically, she could see a small section of the main house connected with a roof over the old servants' quarters. Always creepy when a house has servants' quarters. There must, she says, be a secret room up there. An attic even older than the attic. And this is all extra just to explain the architecture honestly because she already discovered there's a 
secret room. Mr. March says, come to think of it, Fip would disappear for hours at a time. Yeah, every time she discovers something, he's like, come to think of it. (laughs) The door was a crude homemade affair, evidently built by someone with little skill in carpentry or craftsmanship. Come to think of it. (laughs) Fit must have put that up himself. That rascal. I love that it's a rascal. It's rascal. Cal, yep. (laughs) I don't know if that's different. Like he's a low calorie rascal. The door is bolted on the other side, but they break it down. Effie asks them not to break it down. She says, I'll bet there's a ghost beyond there. Please leave it alone. Don't let it out. No telling what it will do to us. Nancy embarrasses Effie, saying rather severely, please stop. You will frighten the child. She banishes her from the attic. Go take care of the kid. They finally break through this door and they fall into space. There's nothing behind there. For a second, Nancy worries that it was an outside wall, but it isn't. They just missed the stairs. It's an outside wall and it's night out. They discover that the reason this room got light, but also couldn't be seen, it had a skylight originally, but Fip covered it with a dark cloth. And so now you can't see it from the outside. That gothy rascal. Mr. March figures Fip must have used the skylight to get in and out of this place. So he nails it up so that the Prowler can't use it too. Nancy was not entirely sure, but finds no other entrances to the location. Nancy does figure out how to open the piano desk drawer. All the music must have already been stolen. There is a note in there, however, from somebody called Riggin. To somebody called D. Could that be Mr. Dite? Well, Mr. March decides he's gonna wait outside and capture Riggin. Nancy has some misgivings, but he agrees to signal if he has any trouble with an owl hoot. <laughs> Nancy sits thinking for an hour and thinking how difficult it will be to prove the Dites guilty in court. Suddenly, she decides, of course, the piano desk must have more secret doors. (laughs) Obviously. It's another brass-bound trunk. It makes mention that it's the witching hour of midnight, and I think that's important because it's important to understand that this is all happening literally in the middle of the night. Right. So Nancy does find drawers of music in this piano bench that she didn't find the first time. Nancy was so absorbed in her thoughts humming these tunes that she failed to notice the piano desk slowly moving across the floor. (laughs) There's a man who comes out of a hole in the ground, but she doesn't see any of this. And who should it be but Bushy Trot? His big bushy hand grabs her. It's not bushy. He actually has fat fingers. Oh no. Stuffs a handkerchief in her mouth, gags her. He corrects her when she says Bushy Trot. He says, Mr. Riggin Trot, if you please. Bushy is my father's name. (laughs) He pulls from his pockets, I guess, two pieces of rope. I always carry these for emergencies. Use them for people who don't mind their own business. I'm glad you came. (laughs) I, I don't know why I read him in a Cockney accent, but... I guess if you got a rig and trot, I can't not. He is the creepiest villain yet. I am was thoroughly chilled by what comes next. Already you can see it with this rope thing. He is enjoying this. It's not just this annoying chore that he has to do because this detective is like Snoopy. He's He says, I'm glad you're Snoopy. Guess I'm going to smell your hair before I leave. And he says, going to fight, eh? I'll fix that. Ties her up more. Double tied. When he had her completely at his... mercy he grinned evilly even that idea of having her completely at his mercy they've described other villains as grinning evilly and they've described other villains as tying her tight and being rough about it but they're very clear about nancy's lack of agency here he also taunts her saying many thanks for finding this music for me and solving the baffling mystery i trust that this little creature will fix you you wonder what this is he jests cruelly. A black widow, my dear detective. Oh, you shudder? Then you know what it'll do to you. Bushy Trot's eyes gleamed like a maniac's. Yeah, it's pretty scary. Yeah. At once, the spider started to crawl toward the floor, and he gave a laugh of satisfaction. 
March is sound asleep in the garden, and he won't wake up for a long, long time, the man chuckled, pleased with his accomplishment, and he boards up the door so she can't escape there. Before he leaves, he thoroughly enjoys himself as he scoops the spider back up into its jar and shakes it up just to liven the thing up a bit. Well, good night, young lady, and goodbye. Goodbye forever. <laughs> he does not let up. You can't escape, Trot taunted her. Sweet dreams. Finally, Trot having said his last thing, Nancy thinks maybe if I lie very still. We didn't really talk about it, but he reveals basically everything he did. Oh, yes. Throughout the, the course of this. The spider in the wall was him. I guess he must have shaken that one, too, because it was biting. Well, and he specifically drilled that hole. So that he could get the spider in. Yeah. He reveals everything. Nancy is very angry with Trot. <laughs> I must get out of here. That terrible man must be arrested at once, she thinks. Maybe Effie will check up on me. I think she'd find the courage for me. Just then, she hears the words, Thank goodness you're safe. It's her hero, none other than Ned Nickerson. He's in this one. He has decided in the middle of the night that he wants to visit Nancy and gone into a house he's never been to, knocked on the door, presumably let himself in, maybe Bess and George did it, and uh, I guess went to the attic and found her. If this isn't the toughest booty call he's ever been on. <laughs> no. Valiantly, Ned crushes the Black Widow. And Nancy's like, let's go get him. And Ned holds her back. Are you really all right? He asked in deep concern. Like, yeah, obviously she's been through it. She's a bit traumatized, yeah. sure, but she's been traumatized 19 times before. I was pretty scared for a while, says Nancy. I admit it, but I'm okay now, really. Not shown here. Years of therapy. <laughs> Boy, you gave me a scare. And he tells her it was just luck that made him even come there that night. Again, he's visiting after midnight, but it's fine. They find Mr. Drew and say, we need to go to Mr. Dite's house. Hop into my car, everybody, he says, as he brings them, still past midnight, mm -hmm. to the Dites. Yup. They update him about what's going on on the way. They take the time to drop Bess and George off at their houses. It has to be 2, 3 in the 3 morning. 3 a.m. at this point. Ned says, if you and your father have a job to do, perhaps I should leave too. Nancy says, oh, please stay. It says I should go too. And I thought he meant I should go with you. And upon rereading, I, I think he's saying... I should get out of here. Yeah. Carson says, I believe we'll need an extra man before the night is over. One with good, strong muscles. <gasps> That's me, says Ned. Now Lawrence Dite is none too happy to see his 3 a.m. visitors. Turns out that he didn't even know he had been sold a plagiarized solution. In fact, he thought Nancy was trying to plagiarize his solution. That rascally Bushy Trot. Also, he finds out that he, like, didn't have to use Black Widows. Yeah. Turns out Bushy Trot just has, I believe they call it, a fascination with deadly things. Yep. Bushy's fired, to say the least. Mm-hmm. It turns out Trot was, like, a chauffeur for the cousin and got him in on the music crime and used him eventually to get the job at Mr. Dite's factory. Mr. Dite's furious that he's been tricked, both by Bushy and his cousin Horace. I mean, wouldn't you be? So how did Bushy Trot get involved in the whole music with Fip thing? Well, Bushy was in the army with Fip, and Fip talked about the many, I guess, financially viable songs he had written. <laughs> so when Bushy Trot learned that Fip had died, he said to himself, I'm going to go to his house and steal the music wasn't the best plan i assume that bushy also stole like you know the novel from a different guy and the poetry of a different guy and the watercolors you know he's stealing art all over the place but all that sold was the music so nancy says well that explains a number of things <laughs> nancy does get to confront trot as he's arrested and he turns deathly white you ain't supposed to be alive i was desperate he says that that's why I tried to kill you with that spider both times. 
<laughs> Jenner at first was innocent, apparently, but then he decided once Nancy revealed that it was plagiarism, eh, let's just cover it up. In for a verse, in for a chorus. Horace Dite and Riggin Trot would now be out of circulation for quite some time. The streets of River Heights are safe to hum your ditties again. And Nancy shows her friends she's going to wear a pale yellow dress to the Emerson dance. Made of spiders. It's that dress she saw in Booker's factory. It all comes together. Bess figures out this must be her payment for a mystery. Nancy says, well, I can't tell you all about it, but you got me. And Nancy also promises that she will include Bess and George more heavily in her next mystery, which it's about time. And the book assures us that this is true, for they were prominently featured in The Clue of the Crumbling wall nancy says as the book comes to a close boy it was exciting to hunt for clues in that spooky old attic oh man well i hope that the crumbling wall provides us with plenty of architecture to talk about next time (laughs) until then i'm carl and i'm hope go Go wildcats to have a special episode about this video game sometime i have a we have a there's a host of video games we can um oh i don't know put them on our patreon remember to support us at our patreon (laughs) you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our patreon river heights radio we'd really appreciate it instagram at river heights radio twitter at river heights fm River Heights Radio on Facebook and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, And give us a review or five stars on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Yeah, if you listen this far, I mean, why not? We actually put a a lot of hours 